Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. Uh, if you're new, if uh, this is your first time joining us here, I see a few parents in the house. Family weekend is this weekend. And so, ACF, can we welcome our family and our, our parents here? Thank you for being here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor here at ACF, and uh, it's my joy to, to worship with you. And uh, man, it was just a during the singing time to hear, I don't know if it's the room acoustics or what, because we're normally in alumni hall, and it's just sound goes everywhere. You know, it's hard to hear in alumni hall, but uh, uh, it was just so wonderful to hear the, the voices just being lifted up to God, praises being lifted up to God, and uh, uh, that, that is one of my highlights of, of my week, coming together with all of you and, and, and exalting, lifting high the name of Jesus. And so hopefully that was the same experience you had this morning. Uh, as I said, I, we're normally in Alumni Hall uh, in the hub on a weekly basis, so, so next week uh, please join us there. Uh, but uh, due to some scheduling conflict, we're here in Thomas, and we're glad that you found us. Um, if you're new and if you're joining us here for the first time, you come at a great time because we're starting a brand new series today, uh, and we're calling this series oddballs, oddballs. Now, I, I want you to take a moment and, and look at the person next to you. If, if, if they look a little odd, let them know they're in the right place. They're in the right, if they look a little weird, they're in the right place. Um, I, now, this series name, I'm, I'm having a little fun with it. I'm poking uh, fun at, at this series because, um, well, well, as we unpack today's passage, you'll see why, and I think you'll come to appreciate this idea of oddballs. Now, we're going to be taking the series to the end of the semester, uh, which, is, uh, which makes this series a five-part series. We have five Sundays left for this semester. I don't know if you realize that. Uh, one Sunday is taken out uh, due, to, due to our fall br uh, retreat, uh, which, again, Lena had mentioned this during our announcement time, but if you have not signed up for a retreat, I'm telling you right now, if, the, if you don't come to any other ACF event but retreat, you would, you would have spent your time well in, in our ministry. And, and so we want you to sign up for a retreat, come on out, and uh, encounter God in, in some pretty significant ways. We would love for you to do that. Um, uh, one Sunday we'll be out on our fall retreat. That's the last uh, Sunday in October. And then two Sundays in November, the Sunday before and after Thanksgiving break. Uh, we're not technically allowed to have any organized services on campus. Penn State policy, and so uh, that leaves us with five Sundays left, and for those five Sundays, we're going to be looking at the book of First Peter. The book of First Peter has five chapters, and so for each week, we're going to be looking at a portion of each chapter of First Peter, um, and uh, we're going to be unpacking this concept of oddballs. Now, to begin our time, um, I want to ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, um, but how many of you in this room have, have been identified as a little weird, as a little odd, right? Like, yeah, the weirdos are already raising their hands. I was like, yes, I've been identified as, as weird. Uh, maybe you've been called quirky before, uh, maybe worse yet, peculiar. You know, I, I, like, I never know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? Like, is that an insult or a compliment? I do know this for sure. I, I'm probably called weird more as an adult than I ever was as a kid. Again, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, but I, that's just the thing. Um, and I think part of the reason for that is because I remember growing up as a kid, I had this, this crippling fear that I was going to be seen as, 
as the weirdo in my class. And so I kind of made it my life mission to, to, to not be identified as the weirdo in the class. I know I'm, I'm aiming big. I'm, I'm reaching for the stars, right? Like that was my life mission, to not be identified as the weirdo in the class. Because, you know, every class has one of these, right? Like it's the kid who, you know, just eats, eats their booger in public, right? Like if you're going to do it, do it in private. Like, you know, no one needs to see that. But I remember sitting next to it, like it was in second grade. I had this girl. She would always pick her nose and just chomp, eat away at it. It's like appetizer before lunch, man. I just, I didn't understand it. I said, she is just weird. I, I, can I change my seat, teacher, then? You know, maybe for you, you it, was, it was that kid in, in, in class that came in with their clothes not quite fitting their body, you know, like they're short, they're, their pants were hiked up a little too high, and you're like, he looks a little weird. She looks a little weird. Maybe it was that kid who came wearing costumes every other day. It's like, what? That's just weird. Why would you do that? Or it's that kid who, who talked a little funny or walked a little funny or walked a little odd, asked odd questions in class. Now, now church, I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm just trying to say that for me, as, as in my little kid world, in my little kid mind, I so desperately wanted to blend in. I so desperately wanted to be normal like the rest of the people in my class, as if they were normal. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a whole other topic in and of itself. But, but for me, I just so wanted to be normal. I, 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 and, and going to middle school didn't help any of that because, I mean, middle, for, forget it. All bets are off. Middle school is when your weird gene kicks into full-blown effect. I mean, it's just you can't avoid it. You know, middle school, you're just weird in middle school, painfully awkward in middle school. I mean, I could tell you stories from my middle school days of just how weird I was, but I, I suppressed those memories deep down into my psyche. And it's just they're long gone. But, but my guess, church, is this. My guess is that I'm not the only one in this room. Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I guess, I'm guessing I'm not the only one in this room that grew up wanting to be normal. Maybe even here today, as you're going through your time here at Penn State, there's kind of this deep kind of seated thing in the back of your mind that says, I just want to blend in to the vast 45,000 plus students on campus. I just want to blend in and be normal. Now, church, what if I were to tell you today that you were meant to be anything but normal? What if I were to tell you today that you were actually meant to be a little weird? A little odd. All oh, the weirdos were right inside. Amen, brother. Amen. Oh, what if, furthermore, let, let's bring this into our spiritual walks with God. What if I were to tell you that God actually calls you to be a kind of an oddball? You see, if, if you identify yourself as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus, I do have some unfortunate news for you. You are, by virtue of being a Christian, an oddball. And we're going to see that in today's passage now, if, 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 if I were to say that to my 13-year-old self, I'd say, thanks, but no thanks, Christianity isn't for me then, because I like to be normal, I want to be normal, I don't want to be an oddball, but, but folks, my hope, my hope is that by the end of our series here today, uh, um, the message today, but the series at the end of the semester, my hope is that you might not just appreciate being a little weird, my hope is that you might even strive to be weird, to be an oddball for Jesus. Don't be surprised if we change our names to OFJ, oddballs for Jesus. Here, you know, like we're not ACF anymore. We're, we're oddballs for Jesus. 
That might hurt our marketing endeavors. Hey, come join our church. We call ourselves oddballs for Jesus. You know? But, but I, this is my hope. My hope is that we will come to the same conclusion that I come to when I read this book. You see, when I read this book, I can't help but see that people of the world look at the people within the church, the people of God, followers of Jesus, and they said, those people are a little weird. They're a little different than the rest of the people that we see in the world. They're just a little bit odd. They're a little bit different. And so my hope is that we might come to that same conclusion upon reading this book of 1 Peter. And so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. And uh, as you're turning there, let me just give you some background and context here. Um, this this uh, book is actually a letter that was written by one of Jesus' uh, disciples, the Apostle Peter. And he wrote this, uh, this letter to the Christians and the church in the, in the Asia Minor area, which is actually now modern-day Turkey. And during this time, the Christians and the churches during this, this uh, particular era was, was undergoing all kinds of persecutions and hardships because they were a little weird. They were oddballs for Jesus. And, and, and Peter writes this letter with this sort of intent in mind. He, he almost... He doesn't actually say these words, but, but kind of the, the overarching theme for 1 Peter is this. It's as if Peter is coming to the church and the Christians during that time, and he's saying, hey, Christians, it's okay that you're a little bit weird. Don't be freaked out that you're weird. Don't shy away and don't move away from your oddness. In fact, I want you to embrace your oddity. In fact, I don't want you to just embrace it. I want you to stand firm in how odd you are because you are intended to be a little bit odd. You are intended to be a little bit different. And if you were writing this letter to us here at Penn State in 2017, I would imagine he would have a similar message for us. I would imagine he would say something to us like this. Hey, students, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have committed your ways to following after God, I want you to know that your life is going to look vastly different from the 40,000 plus students on this campus who aren't following God. I want you to know that your life and your choices and the decisions that you make in your life are not always going to make sense to the people on the outside. Now, wait, wait, wait a second. You're, you're telling me you're, you're saving yourself for marriage? You're telling me you ain't going to try it before you buy it? Like what? Where is the logic behind that? You're telling me you actually don't like to get blackout drunk? You're telling me you don't like to go party? What's the matter with you? Are you? Do you not like to have fun? How weird are you? How odd are you? Folks, when we live according to this book, you just got to embrace the fact that your life is going to look different. Your life is just going to look different. In fact, our big idea for today is quite simple. If we were to boil it down to one statement, it would be this. Stop trying to be normal because you're not. Stop trying to be normal because you're not. In fact, turn to the person next to you and tell them, stop trying to be normal because you're not at all. Go ahead, turn to someone next to you. Tell them, stop trying to be normal because you're not. Some of you are having a little too much fun with that. Okay, so just bring it in, bring it in. Stop trying to be normal because you're not. And folks, let me just say this. We're looking at Peter's letter. I love that Peter is the one writing this letter because Peter was kind of an oddball himself. I mean, of all the disciples that Jesus had, Peter kind of stood out 
from the rest of the disciples. He, he kind of stood out as a little bit different from the rest. When Jesus, you guys remember this account, when Jesus was walking on water towards the disciples' boat, what does Peter do? He jumps out and he's like, Jesus, is it you? Tell me to come out to you and I'll come out to you. To which, the, I, got, I got to imagine, I would have loved, loved to have been there. To which I got to imagine the disciples were like, Peter, shut up, sit down. What's the matter with you? You know you can't walk on water, bro. Just sit down. Like, what are you doing? Sit, you know, and he does these odd, he says these weird, odd things. Not only that, Peter, uh, Peter James, and John. We're up on a mountaintop uh, at the transfiguration of Jesus, right? And, and what does Peter do? Peter's like, this is awesome. This is, you know, and he goes out and he pitches these tents and he's like, Jesus, I think we ought to camp out here. This is just really neat stuff. I just saw Elijah. I saw Moses. This is awesome. We ought to hang out here. And Jesus is like, no, no you're not getting it, Peter. That's, that's not why we're here. That's not the, that's slow down. That's not why we're here. Peter, Peter said some things out of turn. In fact, one time Peter tried to save Jesus. And Jesus ends up rebuking Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, I don't care what kind of day you're having. It's a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan. I mean, that's, a, that's an all kind of bad day. So, so he, he says, he, he speaks out of turn. And then later on, shortly thereafter, Peter strikes down a lowly servant Minding his own business, doing his servantly thing. He ends up cutting off his ear at the scene of Jesus' arrest, right? At the, at the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. And then, and then shortly thereafter, Peter ends up denying even knowing Jesus three times. Peter was kind of weird. He was an oddball. He did things that left you scratching your head saying, why would you do that, Peter? Why, why would you eat your boogers? That's just weird. Why would you, why would you do that? I, I'm convinced that Peter was one of those kids who ate his boogers. I mean, you just see, I mean, don't you, can't you see Peter doing that? Like, you just, like, why would you do that, Peter? And so I love that Peter's writing this letter because who better to learn how to be an oddball than from the godfather of oddity, right? Than the godfather of oddballness. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter, and we're going to look at uh, the very first chapter. In fact, uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles available uh, that um, uh, Claire, our lovely hospitality deaconess, will come around and uh, she can hook you up with the Bible. Just go ahead and throw your hand up. If you are reading along with us in these Bibles, we are on page 1014. 1014. If you don't personally own a Bible, feel free to take this home with you. This is our gift to you. And uh, you can read along with us here in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick it up from verse 13, and uh, we're going to take it to verse 25, and I'll, I, I'm going to pause about halfway through to just talk a little bit, and then we'll, uh, we'll unpack the rest of this passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, we'll also have it up here on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord. It says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Sober-minded, I mean, that right there sets us up to be an oddball right off the bat, especially in this context here at Penn State. To be sober-minded already sets you up to be different from the rest of the cultural norm around here. And Peter urges us to be sober-minded so that you can set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ. In other words, it's only in your sober-minded state that you can fully experience Christ and taste his grace in your life. If you need to be intoxicated to experience God, you're not experiencing God. 
you're experiencing the effects of intoxication. And so he says, I want you to be sober. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 5, to not get drunk on wine, but, but, but what? Be filled by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's in the filling of the Holy Spirit. It's coming away from uh, the, the intoxication. It's, it's being sober-minded that we can fully experience the goodness of God, the grace of God. When the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good, he's talking about experiencing the fullness of Christ's presence in your life. And Peter says the only way you're going to do that is to be sober-minded. In your sober-mindedness, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, these next couple of verses are very important. In fact, much of our message today will be rooted in these next couple of verses. Peter goes on, and in verse 14, he says, As obedient children, that word obedient is going to come very important, become very important towards the end of our message here today. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, and this is is the standard, you shall be holy for I am holy. I'd like to pause right here for just a minute. This right here is where Peter says, hey Christian, you're an oddball. This is where Peter says, hey follower of Jesus... You're a little weird. You're a little weird. And it's okay that you're a little weird. Uh, Be holy as God is holy. The word holy actually means set apart. It means different. It means wholly, completely different. It means out of the ordinary. It means anything but normal. And Peter tells us you are to be holy in all of your conduct. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Is Peter saying that we ought to be different just to be different? How many of you have been there, right? You make make decisions and you say things amongst your peers just to be different, right? You you make choices just because you're like, ah, that's what everyone else is doing. I just, I want to do something different. Is that what Peter is saying when he says, be holy as, I is ho- uh, as God is holy? You know, as I was preparing for this message, I, I, I found this so interesting that, that though we so desperately want to be normal, there's something in all of us, something in you and something in me that so desperately wants to stand out as well. While we want to be normal and and not categorized as weird, at the same time, I believe that we all have this intrinsic desire to want to stand out. That's why we want to to come out at the top of our class. That's why we want to win the MVP award for, uh, for our sports teams. By the way, if you didn't know already, I was the best volleyball player in New York City in high school, okay? I just live in my glory days, people. I'm just, uh, you know, like... That, that's, there's something in us that says, I want to be the best. I want to be a standout. I want to be extraordinary. And we live in this weird dichotomy of, I want to I blend in, but I also want to stand out. And so is that what Peter is saying when he says, be holy as God is, be different, be a standout, be set apart as God is stood out and set apart? Is that what, is that what Peter is saying? Well, I don't think that's what Peter's getting at. In fact, I know for a fact that's what, Peter's not, that's what Peter is not getting at. If we read on, he sort of lays it out through a very simple gospel framework. 
In verse 17, he goes on, and this is, this is why God is holy. This is why God is different, because God has done something here, and, and Peter begins to lay out just exactly what God has done. God does something here that no other God, in all, no other deity in history has ever done. In verse 17, read on, it says this, and if you call on him as Father, by the way, the only reason why you and I are enabled are able to call God this holy, matchless, awesome God as Father is because of the gospel work that Jesus has done for you and for me. It's because of what Christ has done on the cross and what happened in the grave that we are able to even call, approach God as God our Father. He says, and if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear. Or another word to translate this word might be awe or worship or, or reverence or deep respect. He says, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Okay, now here it is in verse 18 and following. Peter begins to lay out the gospel narrative. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Now just pause right there. Here's what, here's what Peter is saying. As the gospel of John tells us, it. John tells us that in the beginning was the word, and this word came to dwell among us. Colossians tells us that Christ was the invisible God made visible. He is the incarnate God, and in Christ and through Christ, all things were created and hold together. This is what Peter is talking about when he says right there in verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. He was the word in the beginning. He was the Godhead in the very beginning, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. What do you mean for the sake of you? Read before that. This is why he came, to ransom you and me through the precious blood of his own body. In verse 21, he says, who through him are believers in God, or as I like to call it, oddballs for Jesus, who through him are believers in God, that's you and me, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I'm going to come back to some of these pieces here, but let me just finish reading this passage. Now, this is everything Christ has done for us. Here are the implications of Christ's work in our lives. Verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Okay, now, if, you're, if, if you read that passage and you're like, okay, I, I, I'm reading the words, but I have no clue what I just read. I, I don't know what that means. I don't know the implications of that on my life. Let me try to break it down for you and lay it out for you real uh, clearly and quickly as I can. The first thing that this passage tells us is that you and I were once living in futility. 
We were living in futility. And in fact, if you jot, if you jot it down notes, I'm going I'm to lay this sort of out as like a sort of a chart, as a flow chart, and you'll begin to see the, the rhythm and the flow of this passage. In verse 14, prior to Christ, Peter tells us in verse 14 that we were living for the passions of our former ignorance. And this is, this is the condition of your life and my life, B.C., before Christ, prior to Christ, this is the condition of our lives, that we live for the passions of our former ignorance. But when Christ changes us, guess what also changes? Your passions, your desires, your wants, your priorities. All, the, all of a sudden, the things that you prioritize, the things that you deemed as important, actually don't seem that important in light of what Christ has done for you and for me. Your priorities begin to change. And, and, and without Christ, we live in this ignorance. Furthermore, in verse 18, Peter says that we were ransomed from our futile ways. Our futile ways inherited from our forefathers. Again, living a life apart from Christ is completely futile. It's meaningless. It is purposeless. When we were talking about the parable of the lost sheep, uh, the lost coin, and the lost son, we talked about that, right? A life apart from God is functionally and operatively lost. You are lost without Christ. And I don't have time to unpack that. That's, you can listen to that message on our website. But, but in the same way, Peter's trying to tell us the same message that Jesus was getting at. Without Christ in your life, You are not only lost, but you are living a pointless, purposeless, absolutely meaningless life. We were once living in futility. But God, out of his sovereign grace and out of his sovereign love for us, doesn't leave us living in futility. And this is where the gospel or the good news begins to unfold itself. Though we were once living in futility, Jesus enters into the picture, and now we are ransomed and saved through the cross. We are ransomed and saved through the cross. We just read this a few moments ago in verse 18, that Jesus ransomed us. He bought us. That makes you and I his possession. We belong to him. And folks, i got to tell you, there's no other place that I'd rather be than in God's good possession. You and I belong to him because he ransomed us, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with what? The most precious of commodities. The most valuable thing of all the universe The precious blood of Christ, it was through Christ's sacrifice, his work on the cross, that we were, get this, rescued from this life of futility. In other words, because of Christ's work on the cross, we can now have meaning, we can now live with purpose, we can now live on mission. But if you know the gospel narrative, Jesus doesn't just stay on the cross. If you look at churches all across America, you'll notice that Jesus isn't hanging on the cross. Why? Because though Jesus was crucified, he was buried, and three days later, God chose to raise him up from the dead. The same resurrection power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, Paul says, resides in you and me now. If that doesn't make you look a little bit different from the world, I don't know what will. We are ransomed and saved through the cross, but not only that, the story doesn't end at the cross. The cross is just the beginning. There's a sequel, and it picks up from the tomb, and this is where we find out that we are given faith and hope through the resurrection. We are given faith and hope through the resurrection. In verse 21, Peter says, who referred to God, this who is God, raised him 
that is Jesus, from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope, everyone say faith and hope, faith and hope, your faith and hope are in God. How many of you know you cannot put your hope in something that is dead? You cannot put your faith in something that is not living. You can't. The good news of the gospel of Jesus is that we worship the songs that we sang today. We're not singing to a crucified Jesus who's hanging on a cross. We're singing to the living Christ who is now seated at the right hand of God, who is governing all things and who is holding, again, all things together. That includes your measly life, my measly life. Can someone say, thank you, Jesus, for that, right? Thank you, Jesus. I'm not worthy for you to hold my life together. What have I done for you? You're the one who created me, put breath in my lungs, and you're the one who sustains me, and you still choose to hold my life together. Now, when we put our trust, when we put our faith, when we put our hope in this resurrected king, Peter tells us that we are born again. We are born again. Verse 23, he says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. This idea shows up in different parts of scripture as well, places like John chapter 3, where Jesus says that you, he's talking to Nicodemus, he talks about being born again. Places like 2 Corinthians 5, where, where Paul says, you, the, the, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new is what? And the new has come, right? Paul also says that uh, you were buried in your old self, and you are, now you are being raised to new life in Christ. That's Romans chapter 6. What this is saying, what Paul, what Jesus, what, what Peter is trying to say is that in Christ and through Christ, we are born again whereby we are made into a brand new creation. A brand new creation. Again, we just talked about this. Your priorities change, your passions change, your perspectives change. All these things change not because of anything that you do. How many of you have tried to change yourself? How many of you have been successful at that? I, I know for me, I've tried to change things about myself, and I keep hitting a wall. And that's exactly where God wants us. Why? Because it's not until you start figuring out, I can't change myself. I need the power of God. I need to go to God. I need to put my faith and hope in God so that God might regenerate me, recreate me, and change me from the inside out so that I might be born again so that I can live for him. Friends, I got news for you. It's only in this new state of being that you're actually able to uphold the call of God to be holy as God is holy. There is no shot in heaven or in hell that you can try to be holy as God is holy on your own strength, on your own might. You are the, the only possibility to try to uphold this call to be holy is if you are truly born again. One of the key markers now of a person that's born again, and this is the last piece that I'm going to hit on this chart. Someone who has put their faith and hope in Christ, someone who's born again, one of the key markers of a person like that is they live in obedience. They live in radical, abandoned obedience. They're like, I don't care what the world says, I'm rooting myself in this word. In fact, in verses 14 and verses 22 and verse 25, we, we see that, Paul, uh, that, that Peter is calling us to this life of obedience. Now, we're not going to re read that, those parts, but I love what Peter does here. I, I, wanna, I do want to read uh, the, the last two verses of this passage here. 
I love what he, the word picture that he gives us. It's almost as if Peter is trying to connect the loop here, right? He, he sees this open loop, and he's trying to connect the endpoints, the beginning point and the end point. And he says this in verse 24 and verse 25. Let's look at this real quickly. He says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. See, Peter is trying to say when you live for the grass and the flowers, you're actually living in futility. Because the grass will always fade. The flowers will always fall. The only thing that endures into all of eternity is the living word of God. The only thing that remains in your life, your, 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 your reputation will fade, your status will fade, your, your occupation will change, your career might take a course, you might end up losing your job halfway through your life, halfway through your career that you thought was so secure, so stable, so firm. I got a degree in this at Penn State and I got a great job right out of college. You might end up losing everything, but God says through his word, through the mouth of Peter, the only thing that stands firm and that stands secure is the word of God the Lord. And so if you want to stop living a life of futility, a life of meaningless, the only remedy for that is living in sheer obedience to this book. You see, this is not just the good book. It is also, Peter tells us at the end of this passage, this is good news. See, and here's the problem for a lot of us. We hear something like, we got to obey the words in this book, and we're like, that sounds like a freaking death sentence. I hate that. I don't, I, don't, I don't even like reading the book, let alone trying to live by it. And yet, see, this is what Peter is saying. Listen, the nature of a Christ follower is you are holy, holy set apart. You are different. But the thing that makes you different is not just different sake. Peter says, I don't want you to be holy, be different, just so that you can be a standout, just so you can be recognized from the crowd. I want you to be different by the key marker of a life that is following the words of God's truth, following the scriptures. Now, let me tell you, nothing is going to make you look more like an oddball than living in obedience to God's word. Nothing is going to make you look more weird in the eyes of our world than a life that says, no matter, what, no matter what comes my way, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what life throws my way, I'm grounding myself in this book. You see, maybe you know this already, but most people have abandoned God's word. And uh, this is why here at ACF, we try to stay faithful to the preaching of God's word. You'll, you'll notice that the book that we study out of isn't off of Oprah's top 10 book club list. It's not, you know, it's not Deepak's book. It's not, you know, uh, any other kind of philosophical book out there. Here at ACF, we try to ground ourselves in this book because this is the only way to avoid living a life of meaningless, purposelessness, living in obedience to this word. A lot of people have abandoned God's word altogether. They, you know, churches have stopped preaching God's word faithfully. The orthodoxy of scripture is, uh, is they have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Christians are no longer even picking up their Bible. They're, they're no longer reading their Bible. They're reading books on how to connect with the universe. I don't know about you, but I want to connect with the God who made the universe. 
I want to connect with the God behind the, the universe, the God who, who put the galaxies in motion, who put the stars and named the stars in their place, who fashioned our every fabric of our DNA. That's the God I want to connect with. I don't want to connect with the universe. What is the universe going to do for me? What has the universe ever done for me? But God, God has done a crap ton for me. God has sent his son Jesus to ransom us through the cross. He has given me faith and hope so that I can live a life of meaning and purpose here on earth. He has regenerated me, changed, from, changed me from the inside out. He has empowered me and enabled me to live in full obedience to this word. I'm going to invite the worship team forward, and as we wrap up our time, Here's, here's how I, I want to wrap up here. For those of you who, who say, you know what? I think, I've been, I think I, I, I've been living my life very much like the 13-year-old Dan Min than anything else, trying so desperately to try to fit in and be normal. I, I think I lived a lot of my life trying to, to blend in the crowd. You know, you know it's a problem when your friends are shocked that you're a Christian. You know it's a problem when your friends discover, when they gasp, when they say, you're, you mean you go to church, you're, you're a Christian? Now, now I, I, I know, you know a lot of their preconceived notions of what a Christian is is judgmental and hypocritical and all these things. But I think that a lot of us, and if I were to be really honest with myself, even for me, I try so hard to, 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 to live in kind of this normal world that, that we know as life. And in so doing, I forsake living according to God's call to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? You're supposed to look different. You're supposed to think different. You're supposed to make choices differently than everyone else. And not because you're better than everyone else, but because God is better than you. Because God knows more than you. Because you say, you know what, God, I don't know everything. I want to come to you, God, and I want to submit myself to you and say, God, whatever you tell me to do, I will do because I trust you. You're trustworthy. If you're in this place and you say, Dan, I, I, I'm there, man. I've worked too hard at trying to live my life in a normal way, trying to blend in and Maybe for you, it's today, it's saying, God, maybe it's just, maybe it's time that I start embracing that I just might be intended to be a little weird. I just might be called to be an oddball for Jesus. Now, what that looks like and how that plays out, well, you're going to have to come back next week because we're going to keep unpacking First Peter and what he tells us about what it means to be an oddball for Jesus.